It is good to be back this evening. I hear you had a good time together this morning, which is great. Um, I missed you all as I drank my coffee, sitting outside a coffee shop in the sun. It was great. <laughs> um, Wendy and I have just spent a few days uh, away with some friends, and actually Wendy's known this couple, actually Wendy introduced this couple. Um, she was 18, 19. She's not here, she can't correct me. It's a change. Uh, so she was 18 or 19, and Wendy's now... <laughs> so she's known them nearly 40 years. And I'm the Johnny-come-lately of the whole setup because I didn't arrive for another three or four years. Uh, to this friendship group. But they're good friends that we've known for a very, very long time. I won't give you their names, but do pray for them because um, their faith was inspiring and now they're nowhere. Bless them in terms of um, God and the rest of it. So, But what do you do when you get together with good friends? What's the talk? How did I know Kathy was going to say that? Oh, sorry, did I? I've just said who said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> talk we did a lot of talking and even I managed to do some listening so that was okay what else do you do when you're out sorry you drink coffee yep well and wine and beer and and food lots and lots of food we've eaten in various different places it's a very nice pub in Wing, Chris, if you're ever up that way again. Um, it's very weird because the hotel we stayed in, or the, the Airbnb we stayed in, is opposite the front gate of Uppingham School, which, of course, Choi, you know that very well. I know Choi's online, so... Um, but you eat. And my question for us tonight is, what are you feeding what I, I'm assuming Kirsten fed the dog while we were away. That would be helpful. She always worries that we've not fed the cats while she's not here because they don't complain when they don't get fed. They just starve. Um, what are you feeding? That's the question. It comes off of the title, if you know what the title for tonight was supposed to be. Um, well, the title is Faith, Not Fear. But I want to ask the question before that. What are you feeding? What are you feeding? Because whatever you feed will grow. Just look down and look at your waist. And if it is still the same size it was when you left school, well done. If it's not, then you're normal. Somebody offered me a pair of trousers the other day. I won't say who it was. Some, a brand new pair of trousers that they did, blah, blah, blah. Would you like this pair of trousers? What size are they? And they said they're 38 waist, and they couldn't work out why I didn't stop laughing for about 10 minutes. Because they just, I've not been a 38 waist since I was 18. Because um, I'm a big guy. And even back then, I was big. Whatever you feed will grow. I'm trying to just get that thought to sink in a bit. Whatever you feed will grow. If you don't feed the tomato plants, they will die. And of course, what you don't feed will die. What you feed will grow, and what you don't feed will die. 
So if you've got something good going on, feed it. If you've got something bad going on, starve it. Don't give it airplay. Don't give it time. Don't give it thought. Don't give it... Now, sometimes it's not as simple as that, I know. But whatever you feed will grow. Some of you may remember this illustration of a train. So we have an engine. It's a steam engine. It's an old illustration. A train, an engine, a fuel... Um, what do you call it? Fuel... A thing, a thing full of coal on wheels for sticking in the engine. Tender, is it? I think it might be called a tender, might it? And then you have a carriage on the back for carrying passengers. And the, the understanding, the, putting a spiritual thing onto that, is that the engine is your faith. It's the thing that moves. A, a carriage and a fuel bunker thing won't move on their own. They need an engine to pull them or push them. Yeah. Apparently you can go in either direction. Um, you need an engine. And your, the engine is your faith, actually. Where your faith is will cause the movement. If you have faith for something, you'll walk into it. If you believe something, you'll do it. If you... Yeah? I don't know what the final score was in the football. I'm, I only watched the first half this afternoon, but nobody appeared to have any faith in the ability to shoot. Because they just didn't. In 45 minutes. It was just... No, and, it is, and it's about faith. It's about confidence. With faithness. So the first bit is the faith. The engine is the faith. And you make the engine go by putting fuel into it. And the fuel is the truth. The facts. The reality of Jesus. The truth of the Bible. And the carriage, and this old... Does anybody know this one? It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it was one of those I thought had been around forever and, nobody, and everybody knew, but everybody's going... Well, I assume they are. I've got the masks on, so I can't see the, the slack jaw, but I'm assuming... Uh, the carriage is your emotions. And on one level, it's a really helpful analogy. What drives the train faith what do you need to drive your faith the fuel of the truth what shouldn't drive the train your emotions absolutely right so i'm a christian because of the fact of jesus i'm a christian because of the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection i'm a christian because those truths have become real in my life faith yeah if I feel like a Christian today, I'm a Christian. If I feel like a Christian, if I don't feel like a Christian tomorrow, what am I? A Christian. Because the truth is the truth is the truth. So emotions don't determine movement. Truth determines the faith which causes us to move. The real problem with the illustration is if the emotions, if the carriage is decoupled or derailed, then the whole train is up, what's it, creek without a doodah. Because the emotions are really important, and if they're not coupled to the rest of it, or they're derailed, if a carriage derails, the whole train's going nowhere. So you've got to 
deal with the emotions. You've got to make sure the emotions are on the rails. You've got to make sure everything is in the right place so that the faith and truth thing can happen. It's not the emotions that cause it to happen, but the emotions can stop it. So the old-fashioned way of doing it, seriously, and I've heard it preached, the old-fashioned way is emotions don't matter ever. Just believe the truth and have faith. Wrong. Because the emotions do matter. And we've got to sort those out. And if you're believing lies and you're believing rubbish about yourself or you're feeling depressed or you're feeling this, that or the next thing, those things matter. But once they are in place or once we've working on them, they don't have to be perfect because they're not going to drive the train. They just have to be on the rails. Then they don't matter in terms of causing movement and causing growth. Do you get the illustration? I wanted to put it up on the screen, but every one I found on the internet had faith and truth the other way round. And so it's a very, very old-fashioned Calvinist way of looking at it. It's the truth that moves you, and your faith is sort of the fuel. Yet no, no, it's your faith that moves. If I don't have faith, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go. And it's the truth that feeds. I checked it out with my theological authority at the back, and we agreed that uh, that the illustration wasn't right. So. And I didn't have time to draw my own. Or better, get somebody else to draw me one. Do you see what I'm talking about here? And what feeds faith there is what's in the fuel. What fuel is there? And of course, if you put the wrong fuel into the fire, it's going to cause the engine problem. It's going to cause the engine a huge problem. Apparently... If you put diesel into a petrol car, it doesn't go well. There's one way round you can do it. I, I did it the right way round. I put a little bit of the wrong thing in, realised, and then just filled it up with the other one and managed to water down what... I can't remember which... Uh, but I was OK. Another, somebody else at a previous church managed to put a whole load of diesel into a petrol car, and that was it. It wasn't that she couldn't drive it home. It was, the car was now officially dead that was the end of it it was all done so you put the wrong thing into the engine you're in trouble you're in absolute trouble so what feeds our fear and i i think it's apposite that we're we're addressing this as we move towards the 21st of june whatever that's going to mean if anything and I've got people around me saying, oh, we shouldn't lock, we should, we should lock everything down, we should get tighter, we should be, we should, and, it's, oh. and the fear coming off them is palpable. You know? If you actually look at figures, 25% of the new um, cases are in under 18s. And actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, in under 18s where the symptoms aren't as bad but that's why they're talking about um, vaccinating 12 to 18 year olds now um, and okay the variant is increasing but the number of deaths and the number of people going into hospital is still decreasing so one of the things that causes fear around us is the flipping media 
because it wants the sensational story and it will puff it as much as it can. It doesn't give you the truth. Two or three times during lockdown, it's gone, this is dreadful, this, you know, horrible. And then you find out the story's about India or, but it looks like at first that it's about the UK. Or you find out it's one small part of the UK. And please, I'm not saying it's not horrible for that small part of the UK, but it's made to look like the whole country. I mean, the figures that are going on at the moment, if we'd had those 12 months ago, we'd be going, yay! Now we're going, oh! Because we've lost our perspective. And so one of the main things that hits us and hits into our fear is the media around us. But circumstances can hit us as well. You know, if we're facing certain, certain circumstances, don't say that if you've had a glass of wine or two, um, if you're facing circumstances which you find scary, the fear will overcome. So standing on the top of table mounting, watching my wife just about to abseil down the side, I had to move away. Because my irrational fear is of heights. I mean, she throws herself off the edge and down she goes. And I'm going... And Ali's saying to me, take a photo, take and I can't. I can't actually take a photo. Which point, Ali, Chris, what did she do? Ali went, oh, give me the camera. And went and took the photograph. For which I am grateful, because there are photographs of Wendy going over the... And there wouldn't have been. And so I understand what it is to have a rational fear. Have an irrational fear. Make that clear. I understand that. I just don't understand yours. No, I'm joking. We all understand our own irrationalities. We just don't understand other people's. So circumstances can cause fear. When I was, I, I actually went abseiling once on a leadership program. I was in the Peak District, just outside Sheffield, and they, we had to set a target as to how far we were willing to go with the abseiling, and my target was to look over the edge. You know? Other people were saying that they could abseil down upside down or walking forwards, you know, with their... F I, said, oh. I mean, they made me feel sick thinking about it. And actually, I managed to get to the edge. I looked over the edge. I managed to climb over the edge. I managed to get into the harness and stand there and went, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'd gone over the lip... And the guy said, I won't say exactly what the guy said to me. It was a Christian centre, but <clears throat> the language was a little fruity at this point. Um, he did say to me, you're flipping not going back over the top, you're going down. He said, because it's going to be a heck of a lot harder for us to get you back over the top than for you to go down. And of course, I'd frozen at that point. He had to get me back up over the top. Because I could, I just could not go down. He said, "Just let you know, let the belay go and just walk." And I couldn't. I just couldn't. And a friend of mine sent me a um, text or something, and just said, "Oh, a pity you failed on the abseiling." And I went again. I won't repeat exactly what I wrote, but I told him where to go, because actually I'd I'd gone beyond my. Um, target, thank you. 
well beyond my target. But fear, can, well, it's fight, uh, fight or flight, isn't it? Fear causes those reactions. So circumstances, I think I was, because I, I get vertigo like that, to be hanging off the side of the flipping Peak District, a, a 200 foot drop in the Peak District, I reckon the circumstances were okay for me to feel slightly frightened. And I was quite pleased with myself, I only felt slightly frightened. I hadn't run screaming into the distance, which is what I thought I was gonna do. Circumstances. Our culture causes us to be fearful as well. We've got a weird culture in this country. We've got a very weird culture in this country that causes us to be fearful of that which is other, that which we don't understand. It's horrible. Whether that's to do with race or whether it's to do with sexuality or whether it's to do with religion, whatever it's to do with, we are fearful of that which is other. And I... I would have hoped by now we'd be beyond a lot of that, but we're not. We're not beyond that. You know, if I had a pound for every time my mother said, it wasn't that she was black, but, and out came a racist statement. You know, even she knew she sh probably shouldn't be saying it, but she still said it. And I still hear my generation do it, and then I hear my kids' generation do it, and I go, what? What are you on? Stop it. Christ's blood's enough for me, it's enough for everybody, irrespective. In Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Listen to Chris's sermon. Last July sometime, Chris, on that passage, something like that. Go back and listen to it, because the vast majority of people don't realise how radical what Chris said was that day. It was really radical. A couple of people noticed and gave him what for afterwards, but not most people didn't hear it. And the people, at least, at least they were listening. I think Chris is the, at least they got the conclusion of what was being said. Well, most of us just, oh, Chris, Chris is lovely, being not, but Chris was actually challenging us to our core, and it challenged him, and it challenges me. If you're worrying about sexuality and you've got the scripture in front of you, in Christ Jesus there's neither male nor female, how do we do that? How do we hold those together? If you're railing against Black Lives Matter and you know anything of the history of the church and you're looking at the scripture in Christ Jesus there's neither Jew nor Greek, what are you on? I'm not, I'm, that's not what I'm not here for tonight, but just our culture engenders fear. And, and there are lies, there are just twisted truth. I think it was Churchill said, you know, there's lies, damned lies and statistics. You can make numbers especially say anything. I can look at a, I can look at a balance sheet for a firm and one set of accountants are going... <sighs> That's a large thing. And I can look at it and make it look like the, the loss is just tiny and it's fine and we'll be all right over the next five years because it takes five years across the business. Like, you can make the numbers say anything. And there are lies out there that we're told day by day. Now, if you don't use L'Oreal, you're not worth it. 
is actually what they're saying. I use this because I'm worth it. And if you don't use it because it's too expensive, then you're not worth it. You know? And what's the image that we portray? You know, have you got an education? Have you got this? Have you been to that school? Do you live in that part of the country? Do you live in the other part of the country? What is nothing? You know, things are twisted. There are so many f twisted lies. The best lies, of course, are 99% truth. You know that. I'm sure you've all heard, but I'm going to repeat again. The best lie I have ever heard. And the enemy told my leadership team down in Dorset this for 18 months. You're too busy to do everything. So we started to get wound up. I'd call a meeting, I'd call something, and then half my leadership wouldn't turn up. Or we'd do an evening service and most of the leaders wouldn't be there, or whatever it was. We haven't got enough time, you're asking us to do too much. You and I'm going, oh, am I? Is this going wrong? And of course the lie is, well, the, the problem with the lie you haven't got enough time to do everything is that it's true. You haven't got enough time to do everything. But if you only did what you saw the Father doing, you'd have more than enough time to do all of that. And that's not just church, that's family, that's work, that's everything. Because actually God doesn't just want you church time. God wants all time. Because he's the Lord of time. So if we're doing what he tells us, then we've got plenty of time. Because he won't ask more than we can ma uh, manage. Plus he already has given us everything we need to live this godly and holy life. What a brilliant lie. We haven't got enough time to do everything. Because it, it, it was causing disunity, it was causing friction, it was causing people to rail against me. And I'm going, I'm looking at what I'm calling, thinking I'm not calling that much. Their, their lives are too busy. Or maybe that means maybe I shouldn't do this, maybe I shouldn't do that. So, if we feed, so basically, the culture as well could be our family culture, of course. You know, not just the culture of our nation, it can be our family culture. The lie that, you know, I laboured under for quite a long time, people like us don't. So I grew up where I, you know, my family growing up and all the rest of it. People like us don't own houses. People like us don't do A-levels. People like us don't go to university. People like us don't. And I look at all my cousins who didn't, any of those things. And I'm the only one that did. Thank God my dad bought a house. <laughs> but he was told by everybody not to. In southwest London. 1965 for not very much money and then only have one child hey hey right <laughs> but we can get held back we can not be fully who we're supposed to be so we walk in unbelief we walk in insignificance and if we're walking in unbelief and insignificance we then try to walk in control and the more fearful we get the more controlling we get the more controlling we get the more fearful we get then we feel that we're nothing and nobody for anywhere and therefore we don't believe God will do anything for us Do you want God to do a miracle for you? Does that depend on you? Does that depend on how much you pray? Does it depend on how much you believe? 
Does it depend on... What does it depend on? God. Now, if you pray and line up with him and walk in obedience with him, those things are more likely to happen, but they're not dependent on that. So, is it quite clear what fear is fed by? For those of you worrying, I'm coming to the scriptures. Faith is fed by truth. In fact, the root of the Greek word for faith and truth are the same, pistis. So the epistemology, the study of truth. Is that where we get the word epistle from that means letter? Yes, it's the letter of truth. Faith is fed by truth, by promises. So we'll just go through the promises in Scripture, shall we? How long we got? You know? Faith is fed by the covenants that God has made with his people. And that are yes and amen in Christ. Faith is fed by the personality of God. I looked up the word faith on Bible Gateway. And you, it's very annoying normally, in this instance it was really helpful, you know, often they then give you where that word appears in longer words. So of course the word faith appeared in faithful and faithfulness and unfaithfulness. The number of references to the faithfulness of God is scary. It's huge. The number of times the Bible says and repeats and proclaims the faithfulness of God. I've just got a couple up here. Deuteronomy. Are we there, Chris? Know therefore, truth, no, head, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful, hang on, slow down to a gallop. He is the faithful God, keeping his cup. Because I'm, I'm, I'm doing the, the bad teach, doing the bad teaching thing and preaching from the, and reading from there. I haven't got it written down there. Right. Johnny, keep hold of his hands for a moment. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to those, to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. A thousand generations. I mean, how, how, how abundant do you want this promise to be? Next one, please. Thank you. Oh, sorry. I think... As he rubbed it out accidentally. Can we have the next one, please? He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does, not wrong, uh, does no wrong. Upright and just is he. If all the promises and all the covenants are dependent on him, we're done, aren't we? Next one. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he's given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. He's not going to let you down. The crops are going to grow. You're going to feed. You're going to be fine. And whether we will now want to take that a little bit more metaphorically, and it's the rain, the refreshing rains of the Spirit, fine. We're going to be fed. What else we got there? No, stop for a moment. And go through the Psalms. I started to put some Psalms on the list, and it's like, no, stop. It's like virtually every Psalm. 
Read through the prophets. I know you've got Joel up there, but oh, there's lots of judgment in the prophets, but there's always a promise. There's always restoration. Okay. Truth is fine. But I'm about to say something you might not agree with, which is fine. Truth on its own is pointless. You can know the truth and it won't set you free. You can know the truth inside out and backwards and still be a Pharisee. Come on my way to a poem here, aren't I, if I keep going? <laughs> I haven't got a third one. We'll just have the two. It's not about knowing the truth, it's about knowing the truth. It's not about intellectual assent to some, some propositional truth. It's a bit intellectual, that bit, wasn't it? It's not about going, yes, I, I believe that's tr a true assertion. Philosophically, I agree with that. I mean, this, this part of it is that. It's got, your faith is, you know, Paul talks about our faith being logikos, which is often translated spiritual, but obviously can be translated logical. Our faith is reasonable. It's reasoned. But actually, the truth needs to be known in us. It needs to be taken in. It needs to be that point where we have availed ourselves of the truth, to use an old-fashioned phrase. Where we've encountered the truth, experienced the truth not just agreed with the truth. And do you know why that is? It's quite simple, actually. It's because the truth is a person, not a set of ideas. Christianity isn't a religion, though so many people have tried to make it one. Christianity isn't even a faith in that sense. I believe it is, but it's so much more. Christian faith is a relationship, and a relationship with Jesus, or a relationship with the Father through Jesus by the Spirit, or any one of those three in any order you want. <laughs> Do I have a relationship with God the Father? Yes. Well, what about God the Son? No, I, no, he's my mate as well. What about the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, he and I get on. Yeah, but which one? All of them. Uh, an alpha one. One time, somebody said to me, I can't quite keep up. You keep using Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interchangeably. And I went, yeah. That's right. Get it. I don't get it. No, they are God. Well, how come there's only one God? Because if they are God, well... I always come back to the one that I guess is mathematically incorrect. It's not one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one, which equals one. And my God's into multiplication, not in addition. Just to add to that one. Good kids talk on Trinity Sunday, that one. But uh, Truth is a person. And the Father made that clear through the reality of the Incarnation. 
And what does John call him? The Logos, the Word. He's the truth. Jesus is the truth. How do I understand in Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free? The only way I can understand it is by talking to Jesus about it. And he may then work through my philosophizing. He may work, work through my theologizing. He may work through my brain. He may work through my emotions. He may work, but it's him that brings the revelation by his spirit. Wisdom is not learning. Wisdom is the accumulation of revelation. You've heard me say these things before. But I'm going to say them again because we keep forgetting. It's the accumulation of revelation. So here are the two key promises. Chris, I'm sorry, this is Matthew 28. It's the last, it? 19 and 20. It's the last two verses of the chapter. I gave Chris the list and I just put Matthew 28. Assuming he'd understand I meant the last bit. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, we, we often stop there in a good evangelical church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them. Go on, go. Well, hang on. The next verse is really important. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Do you want to learn how to live out, live away from fear? How to walk out of fear? Hold on to the truth that he's with you to the very end of the age. He's with you. Where's Jesus? I'll live like it then. That's the thing, isn't it? Not theory. It's got to be practice. And to be good at the practice, we need to practice. Just trust him. And here's the next one, Colossians 3, 3. This is the song. I'm assuming this is the starting point for the song anyway. You do realise, whether you're online or whether you're in here, that you are dead. You are dead. The moment you became a Christian, you died. Well, your flesh life did. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just stop and think about that for a moment. You're hidden. What are you hidden from? De the devil and all his minions. That was on this afternoon. Channel 5. The minions. It's fun. It's one of my favourites. I love the minions. I think they're great. You're hidden from the devil. You're hidden from the world. You're hidden from anything that can harm you. You are hidden. And not only are you hidden, you're hidden in the same place as you are with Christ. And where is he hidden now? In heaven. He's been raised. And we have been raised, Ephesians 2, we have been raised. 
<coughs> we are hidden with Christ in God. What causes fear? Not feeling safe. Where's the safest place in the universe? In God, with Jesus. Where are you right now? In God, with Jesus. Right now. The circumstance is horrible. There's the fear of failure, the fear of lack of provision, the fear of family screwing up again, fear of... But where are you? Those circumstances come to you and you are in God with Jesus. So we hold on. Can I suggest to you, if you struggle with fear, just take Matthew 28, 20 and Colossians 3, 3 and don't read anything, any other scripture for a little bit. Podcasts are finished, so I can say that now. <laughs> Do you see that clever trick? I, I finished the podcasts while I was away. It was great. Managed to get them recorded before we went. Just hold those two scriptures. Just read them. Read them every day. Maybe don't read anything else for a week. Just read them every day. And then go back to what you were reading before, but read those two verses every day. I'm with you to the end of the age. And, so, and say out loud, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Or whatever way around the words were. Just start there. I'm going to miss a few out, Chris. I'm going to go straight to Hebrews, if that's all right. And I come into land. The truth that feeds our faith is a reality that is an authentic experience and encounter with Jesus. And I put a few verses from Corinthians and Ephesians and Romans. Go, go look. Go look yourself. You can have the notes if you want. Now faith is taking big risks with God. And being worried about falling over. Faith is being, what does it say? Sure. Of what we hope for. Has God promised you something? Has God promised you freedom from fear? Well, be sure. It says in 2 Timothy, doesn't it? No, he didn't give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of love and boldness and faith and right thinking. Oh, you've got to think right. Most fear is based on nothing. I know deep down my fear of heights is irrational. And boy, am I a lot better than I used to be. Chris will tell you, I managed the the big gold, the eye thing in Cape Town. I managed to go up. I managed to go up, flipping um, Table Mountain. I couldn't go to the edge and look over, but I, w I went up it. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have gone up. Fifteen years ago, I stayed off the London Eye and held Kirsten's hand at the bottom while everybody else went up because Kirsten and I were too scared to go up. She was five, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't. 
I get it. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us it's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is not a risky business. Faith is not just I hope so. Faith isn't about, oh, if I just screw myself up enough, I can't just be able to do it. Faith is going, my life is hidden with Christ in God. And Jesus is with me. And the Spirit dwells in me and I'm raised with Christ and I have dominion over. And, I, and I'm going. We don't have to be extrovert about it. We don't have to be shouty about it. Sorry, my personality. But we can be, I tell you what, some of the most scary people I've met are not extrovert about it. The quiet ones are often more determined because they're not trying to cover up the fear with bluster. They've worked out how to just go, I'm going to do this. So, if we experience the truth in worship, which we're about to do, that's your hint, Johnny, in prayer, in encounter, then we will live by faith. We will know the truth. We will speak it out. We will step out into it. We will do it. He is faithful. He will bring it to completion. And here's the last verse, Philippians 1 and verse 6. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until you're a little bit better, sorry, until completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. So as we come into worship, just run into his arms. Embrace him who is the truth. And be free. Be free. Faith will always overcome fear.